Acts 8, 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Thanks, Jim. Well, again, good morning. If you are a a guest with us, we love uh, God's Word here, and we are preaching our way through uh, the book of Acts, and we are finishing up Acts chapter 8 this morning. And and again, just way of one announcement that that wasn't in the video. If you are new, or maybe you've been here for a while, we are uh, uh, starting next week, uh, Parks 101, 102, and 103 over the next three weeks. It's a great time for you to jump into those classes. You just need to register for them. So I just want to make a plug for those. That is a great opportunity for you to get into the life of the Parks Church, find out what we're all about, our beliefs, um, our, our DNA, our culture, things like that. So jump in. Next week begins Parks 101, and that, will be, that won't happen again until probably sometime in, in the late summer. So you'll want to jump in uh, that class next week. It's re- really, really good stuff. Even if this is your first time, it's a great, great class to jump in. So uh, we're going to walk through this passage. And uh, to be fair, I have preached this passage um, uh, twice here at the Parks Church. And uh, one, uh, you can you can pick up uh, on on baptism, which obviously there's a lot to say about baptism in this passage. Uh, but I'm going to kind of take a different approach to this than I have in my, my, my other two sermons on Acts chapter 8, this particular passage. Um, in the baptism sermon, I focused a little bit more at the end of the passage. This time, I'm going to focus more at the beginning of the passage and, and look uh, at, at Philip, okay? And so, there have been some things I hope you've picked up on as we have walked through uh, the book of Acts. And we, we want to ask the question, like, what are, what are we trying to get at here by preaching through the book of Acts? 
You know, and, and, and again, I get it. Like the, the, the general answer, right? We, we preach all of the word of God. We want to know the full counsel of the word of God. But what is it um, when we're walking through Acts that we are looking as a community to, and asking the Lord to do? Okay? There is a pattern that we should be seeing in Acts. And the pattern is this, okay? The people of God gather, and when they gather, they do certain things, right? Acts chapter 2. They eat together. They, uh, they, they fellowship one another, they, they, they open the word of God, and they pray together, right? There, there's a pattern to that. And what happens when they're praying? What is the, the corresponding thing that typically happens next that we see in Acts, right? The Holy Spirit moves. The Holy Spirit empowers them. The Holy Spirit moves in power upon them. And then there's also another thing that happens after that. The kingdom of God spreads like wildfire. Like that's the pattern. The people of God get together. They pray, they gather, they open uh, the word of God. The Holy Spirit empowers them because Jesus said that's exactly what he would do. They give witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the gospel spreads like wildfire. It's this incredible pattern. We'll see it time and time again. And we even see that here in Acts chapter 8. But what we, what we need to recognize here in Acts chapter 8 is that this is not anything new. We have literally seen thousands of people, droves of people responding to the gospel witness of someone, right? Philip and other apostles as well, uh, the other apostles as well. But why would Luke take time to highlight this Ethiopian in Philip? Why would Luke take time in this moment in scripture, right, to place this in here about this one moment of conversion? Is there something unique about it? And I think there is something unique about it. And what I, what I hope you, you pick up and hear this morning is that this is, this is a message that is going to be deeply practical. This is a message that is going to have a lot of handles for you and I to walk out of here actually not just hearing the word of God, but practicing it if we'll allow the Holy Spirit to, to do that. And the main point I want to make this morning is that Philip demonstrates that being filled with the Holy Spirit that being filled by the Holy Spirit as well, he and we, thus we, can overcome so many of the hurdles that we have in sharing the gospel. This is about a man proclaiming the gospel to another man. This is a, a verbally proclaiming the gospel. And listen, we've talked a lot about proclaiming the gospel with our lives and with our lips. This is particularly with our lips. And how many of you, don't, don't raise your hand, right? Because it'd be all of us, except for maybe a few of you. Proclaiming the gospel verbally is something that is terrifying. It's something that you find maybe as a challenge. You find that, that you come up against hurdles time after time. When I gazed again at this passage, prayerfully considering it, I looked at it and I looked at Philip. And the reality of Philip is he has one hurdle after another. He has one, one thing that would stand in the way from him getting to this Ethiopian. And for us, I think they are the same hurdles. Right here in 21st century, in McKinney, Texas, in your workplace, in your school, in your home, in your neighborhood, I think they're the same hurdles that we face. The same hurdles we need, not more self-effort, not more sermons. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to invade our lives in if we have any hope of being the gospel heralds and proclaimers the scripture has called us to. So the first hurdle I want to look at, we see it's in verse 26 and verse 29. And the first hurdle is the hurdle of busyness. The hurdle of busyness. Right? And again, if you are a believer in here, you understand the call to every believer, right? Not just those gifted with the gift of evangelism. Every believer is called to be a gospel witness. 
But there are certain things that get in your way and my way. And I think one of the key things is this, is busyness. Busyness. You see, there are two messages that Philip receives in this passage. The first one is found in the first part of verse 26. Look at it. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip. Like, does it get any clearer than that, right? Like an angel shows up to Philip and says, You're going down to this particular spot. Go there. Like, I'm being... Like, this happens biblically. We see it, right? Angels exist. They are in operation. We believe in that. I, I can't necessarily relate to this, right? I, 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 as honest as I can be, I have never had an angel show up before me and say, Kyle, thus says the Lord, do this. I mean, I, I, if, if I had, I would be able to share that story and be like, whoa, and I did it, hopefully, right? But what I can relate to is verse 29, right? Look at what it says in verse 29. And the spirit said to Philip, right? So we have an angel of the Lord appearing to Philip, right? This is a unique moment. This is kind of in the same vein as I talked about a couple weeks ago, the book of Acts being the book of Acts with these unique moments. However, verse 29, I think is something we can all resonate with if you're a believer here. And the spirit said to Philip. Now we have this subjective inner voice of the Holy Spirit leading and calling Philip to go and to say and to speak to a certain person. I'm convinced that if you are a believer in Christ, you have had this same still small voice of the Holy Spirit in your life nudge you, communicate with you, right? This is not talking about the audible voice of God. This is talking about the leading of the Holy Spirit in Philip's life. One of the hurdles I think we have that I share in sharing the gospel, proclaiming the gospel is this, that I am too busy... And my life is too noisy to actually hear the Holy Spirit leading me and guiding me in evangelism. That we are so busy in our lives that we go from one thing to the next thing. But what we see here in Philip, from the angel to the spirit, we see Philip taking time, obviously, taking time to quiet his heart. I should have just called this sermon like lyrics we lie about, right? We just sang the song, right? Quiet my heart. I'm listening. No, we're not. Right? We just sang them. Are we? Is that a regular habit and pattern in your life where you're quieting yourself, asking the Holy Spirit, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Who do you want me to speak to? What do you want me to say? You see, we've said it time and time again from this stage that busyness is the enemy to so much of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In fact, Eugene Peterson, right? The the guy who wrote the Message Bible. He says that busyness is the enemy to spirituality. And and it doesn't just mean this kind of fruity spirit, but to like the spirit-led life. Busyness is the thing that fights against that. And we said, listen, busyness is the enemy against community. Right? Deep relationships. Busyness is, is, is the, the enemy against, in uh, rush, or the enemy against hospitality. The same thing is true about sharing your faith, about evangelism, about telling other people about Jesus. You see, something that we see here in the text about Philip is this, that he has taken time to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit because of how he responds question is, do we take that same time? Do we take that same time in our lives to ask God, 
What do you want from me? What do you want from me today in this moment? Who is it that you will put before me that needs to hear about your grace? See, this is right in step with Jesus in the Gospels. Particularly in the Gospel of John, John paints the picture of Jesus where Jesus continually says, listen, I don't do anything unless the Father tells me. There's nowhere I go. There's nothing I say. There's no one I speak with. There's no one I lay hands on unless it's the Father speaking and leading me. Right now, now again, you're always like, yeah, it's Jesus. You set the bar pretty high there, right? Like he and the Father had a special relationship? Absolutely. But the same is true of us as disciples of Jesus, that we would be listening, that we would be hearing, that we would be pausing our busy lives in going, listen, Lord, I want you to speak to me. I think one of the greatest hurdles and one of the greatest things that block us from actually sharing our faith is this, is that we don't actually stop and ask God who and what he wants us to do. You see, this is Philip. This is him, him, him pausing his life, pausing his, his ministry. And we're going to talk a little bit about that here in a second. But you and I, what we find, to my own frustration, I'm typically just going on to the next thing. Will we listen and hear God in what he is calling us to do? Go here, speak to them, say this. You say, well, well Kyle, if, if God would actually do that, that would be easy. He does do that. The question is, are we listening? Are we listening with our Bibles open? Are we listening to the Spirit speak to us when we're bowing our heads in prayer? Are we pausing and closing our lips and not speaking and hearing? Oh, this is a, this is a hard, like, listen, this may sound simple to you. This is a very hard discipline to shut our mouths, to shut out the noise and say, Holy Spirit, speak, lead. Second hurdle, I think, is this that we see, and this is the second part of verse 26, is the hurdle of comfort, right? Comfort, all right? So if busyness doesn't get us, comfort surely will, right? And oh, oh, oh we're so guilty of this. You say, where, where, where do you get comfort out of this, okay? So we have an angel of the Lord say to Philip, okay? So Philip, we believe at this time when the angel is speaking to him, he is in Samaria, if you remember two weeks ago. And he is preaching and proclaiming the gospel in Samaria, a rather large city. And it is like revival breaking out in Samaria, okay? Like people are coming to faith, people are being baptized. And an angel shows up to him and says, listen, this is what I want for you. And it says, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Now, this is a desert place. That's kind of an odd like add-on, isn't it? Right, like, is, is, to anyone else? You see, I think what Luke is trying to say here is that he's going from an area, a region, where the gospel is being received, where they're being saved, really, again, in droves, like, tons of people are coming to faith, and it's now like, I want you to come out of that place, and I want you to go to the desert. And, and if you have your copy of God's Word, maybe you'll notice where it says, go to the south, and the word south has either a number by it or a letter up by it. You'll notice that, that that's for a reason. It's meant to take you down to the footnotes or, hey, you should pay attention here, right? And it's because that word, go toward the south, is the exact translation as this. Go at about noon. So it's not, potentially, it's not just giving a geographic region, go to the south, okay? 
It is giving a time of day that the Lord wants him to go down to this desert place. And if you know anything about the desert, if you don't know anything about the desert, right, you know that at noon in a desert place, it's what? It's hot, right? So have you ever heard of the phrase like you got it made in the shade, right? Talking about comfort, right? You got it made in the shade. So think about this. Philip, from a ministry standpoint, from an evangelistic standpoint, is in Samaria where he's preaching, right? He's just, he's just, he's just expounding. He's just flowing the gospel and people are receiving it, being baptized. And the angel says, hey, listen, I want you to go down in the heat of day to the desert place and stand there. <laughs> what? What? You see, this is, this is about comfort. I want you to go, if you will, from the shade, right? From this place of receptivity down to a desert place. I'm not going to tell you why, but just go down there and stand in the sun. Physical discomfort? Yeah, you bet. Unknowing what's, what's next? You bet. You see, throughout Scripture... The rhythm and character of our God is this, is that he takes us. And again, some of our comfort is a gift of grace and a gift from God, okay? But oftentimes what God does is he removes that barrier or that hurdle, that comfort, if you will, so that we come to a place where we are not comfortable so that the gospel might be proclaimed. You hear that? That the, that the comfort is removed by the grace of God from our lives so that in our lack of comfort, the gospel message might go forth. And there are people nodding their heads probably because you've been on things like short-term missions trips, right? You've been put in those uncomfortable places where you are absolutely dependent upon God moving, right? And this is talking about physical discomfort. We'll get to social discomfort here in a sec. Right? So Philip is in this place. And some of you, listen to me. Some of you, this may happen in the extreme, right? I talked about Jake and Katie and our mobilizer team. Some of you, God is calling, even now, to go to the ends of the earth, to go to those people who are unreached with the gospel, to be a gospel herald in those places, to give up every comfort you know here. Sacrificing family, sacrificing other things so that you might go to hear, that others might hear the good news of Jesus Christ. That is a reality. Others of you, physical discomfort in this place may just look like, hey, I've got to get out of my house. Right? I can't go in after a long day of work, just shut the door and go, woo, I'm in my castle, baby. It's not your castle to begin with. You're a steward there. And your stewardship begins with you proclaiming living with your life and with your lips the good news of Jesus Christ. You can't just pull in the garage. Right? The discomfort may be I actually have to speak to my neighbors who annoy me. Or that coworker, Or that person who sits next to me in class. Maybe the discomfort is this back to point one. You have to slow down. You have to slow down. You have to acknowledge and repent of the busyness that invades our lives that is meant to distract us from the call of God upon our lives. Like, listen, some of you, even in me saying you have to slow down, it terrifies you. Right, when it, when it gets silent in here is when it gets most awkward. Like we, let's be honest, we don't know what to do with silence, do we? We don't know what to do in those moments where we are just being. 
Why? We're addicted to progress. We're addicted to movement. We're addicted to noise. And to slow down is going to cause some discomfort. But here, in those moments of silence, God will speak. The Spirit will lead. And let me tell you, that might be the most uncomfortable place for most of us. Is in that place of slowing down and quiet. You see, what happens when we aren't comfortable? What happens? We complain. No, no, yes, you do. But you begin to depend. You begin to go listen to the things that I thought were controllable, the things I thought that, that were providing me safety and security and identity. They fade away. And God, I need you. God, speak. God, move. Unless you do, there's no movement. So this is, again, physical discomfort. What about this third hurdle of social acceptance? And there's kind of two parts to this in this text, I believe. Social acceptance. Um, so here, Philip, so he receives a word from, from the Lord where to go to this desert place. And there's this Ethiopian that comes by. And he's actually a government official. And it says in, in verse 28 and 29, and was returning from Jerusalem, by the way, which he was trying to worship, seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah, and the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. And so here's, here's where I want you to see, verse 30, tucked in here. So Philip ran to him. Philip, like, sprints. So he's sitting along, we don't know for how long, this hot desert road, and here comes this chariot. The Spirit says, that's why I brought you down here. Go after him. Right? And so there's this sprint to this Ethiopian. And, and, and it just kind of a cursory reading, you would read that and you would go, man, like, th that's awesome. Like, there is a gospel urgency. There is a, there is a urgency by Philip to go and get the, the Ethiopian to, to hear the gospel, to share the gospel. And to that, we, we applaud. However, what we need to understand is that, that this gospel prelude, like him running after the chariot, is something socially that would have gotten kind of a raised eyebrow. It kind of, it's kind of one of those things that wasn't necessarily acceptable. And, and, and at least it was something that was awkward, okay? Him running, right? He would have had this, 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 like, this big kind of like skirt-looking thing, and it's something called girding your loins. They would pick it up when they run, and they would tuck it. And they, I'm not going to act it out because I know like Sam's like recording me or something. I'm not going to act out. But the run would have looked very awkward, okay? Right? It would have looked very weird. Even back then, and it was something that was even seemingly like undignified. But what does Philip do? He's like, I don't care about being socially accepted. I don't care if people are going to laugh at me. Maybe even the Ethiopian eunuch may look at me and go like, who's the bro running awkwardly after me undignified, right? But he comes up to the eunuch with this urgency. So I would wonder, is social acceptance, and I would say this, that social discomfort is the one we actually fear far more than physical discomfort. True or untrue? Right? Like, give me the sun beating in a desert place. But don't you dare give me someone who'd go, <laughs> who would scoff or reject. Right? It's, it's, it's that quote that we've used before about in the East... They fear the raised fist of persecution. But in the West, we fear most the raised brow. 
of persecution. This idea and hurdle of social acceptance. You see the urgency to which Philip had received this calling from the Holy Spirit. He was willing to go through something uncomfortable to reach this man. You ever had those moments where you felt that? Where you felt that pushback? Or where you didn't say something because it was just going to be awkward? Remember, I was at Target. Like if you, if you want to meet me, like see me, I'm at Target 99% of the time um, with kids. Um, my daughter was, my, my oldest daughter was probably two or three. And we were checking out in the lane um, and wheeled up and all our stuff had went through. And, and I'm like paying. And, and she just looks at the cashier and uh, she goes, do you love Jesus? So... Pastor Kyle, right? I literally like hug her, close her mouth. Like, I'm not proud of this, okay? Like, I'm like, oh, I don't touch Jesus, yeah. And I'm like, shh. And it was, hear, hear me. It was like a two by four over my head. One of those moments, right, with the Holy Spirit. And he's like, you're closing her mouth? Like, it was like the first thing that rolled out of my mouth to her behind the cash register was I'm sorry. I'm apologizing for my two or three-year-old daughter being a better gospel witness than I am. That's like, right? See, I, I should have said to her, I'm like, sorry, she hasn't been in American church long enough to know the appropriate method and means to sharing the gospel. That's a joke, by the way. Right? Like, it was that moment that the Lord's like, why don't you have that childlike faith? Why won't you proclaim the love of Jesus like your toddler just did that you're apologizing for? Right? It's like we mature out of being spirit led where there might be a moment where we are at with a cashier, with a wage, with, with someone where we're like, listen, uh, I don't know, but man, I, I just feel like I'm supposed to talk to you about Jesus. Right? Like those are still true moments that still happen today. Where it might just be a conversation of like, I don't know why I'm supposed to talk to you, but is there something we can pray about, right? I believe in a God who answers prayer. Like those are moments, if we will quiet ourselves, that the Lord is still doing today. But let me tell you, fear of not having social acceptance is what binds us and blocks most of us up. Like, I'm going to be rejected. You will be rejected. Right? It's the same thing that God told Moses. Listen, Moses, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. So what we need to understand, first and foremost, for those who who don't receive Christ, is that they're not rejecting us, they're rejecting Christ. And what we are called to is to be faithful heralds of the gospel in every sphere, in every place, being winsome and spirit-led in those moments. But I'm afraid that social acceptance has just bound us up and captivated our hearts more than the grace and mercy of Jesus. Man, I'm glad Philip ran after that chariot undignified. Socially, people would have laughed at him. But he said, forget it. I'm going to tell him about Jesus. And the second thing here, I think this is part B in this, is who was in that chariot? Right? Who was in that chariot? Luke is painting a picture here. He's telling a story, a very pointed story, a very purposeful story of this conversion moment. And he tells us a lot about this guy in the chariot. 
The first thing he tells us is that he's an Ethiopian. Why include that kind of detail, right? Why not just a government official? Why from the region of Ethiopia? Now, where this gentleman would have been from is not modern-day Ethiopia. It would have been just a little bit further south from Samaria, right? Going down from Gaza. He's headed back there. But I want you to see what, what one early writer wrote about Ethiopia. Herodotus, put, put that quote up for me if you can. Keith, please. This is about Ethiopia. Where the south declines toward the setting sun lies the country called Ethiopia. The last inhabited land in that direction. Secular writing, right? Talking about geography. The last inhabited land in that direction. Does that last phrase ring a bell if you've been studying Acts with us? And the gospel will go forth to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to where? The ends of the earth. Ethiopia? This man that Philip is reaching with the gospel literally lives in what they believed was the end of the inhabited earth. Crazy. And Luke is saying, listen, in one chapter, one chapter, chapter 8, we are seeing Acts chapter 1, verse 8 played out. It starts in Jerusalem. What happens? The church is persecuted. Where does the gospel go? Judea. Where does it go after that? Philip, two weeks ago, right? He's in where? Samaria. And now Philip, the evangelist, is where? He's standing on a road in the desert leading an Ethiopian to faith who takes the gospel message back where? To the ends of the earth. Unbelievable. Unbelievable what Luke is doing here. So that is why he says he's an Ethiopian. So that is why it's included. But also you need to understand, if he's an Ethiopian, and he's someone from not where Philip is from, we'd say to the ends of the earth, what does that probably mean? That he and Philip have very little in common. Right? If he's at the end of the earth, and I'm therefore not at the end of the earth, and we can talk about being the center of the earth, which is another conversation, but we're not alike. We don't look alike. We don't talk alike. We have different customs. We have different, maybe, maybe, maybe frameworks. But Philip is still sharing the gospel with him. Philip is still boldly proclaiming Jesus. And so the second, second thing is this. He's not just Ethiopian explained here by Luke. He's an Ethiopian eunuch. And it uses the word eunuch more than it uses Ethiopian. Why do we need to know that? Right? For, for those, like, I, I think most of you know what it means to be a eunuch. Okay? He's, he's been castrated at some point in his life. That's not to be crass. That's to be clear. Okay? And it calls him by that. Well, you see, it says that he's coming from Jerusalem to worship. Something particular about Jerusalem and worship is that a eunuch was not allowed in the temple to worship. A eunuch would have been forbidden. Ah. So now we're seeing something even more clearly about this guy. That where he just came from, possibly he felt like a cast off. Or rejected. An outcast. I mean, Philip is a Jew. This is still a Jewish thing coming out of Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. But here's the third thing we see about this man in the chariot. What book is he reading? Isaiah. 
He's reading Isaiah. Now you may go, why Isaiah, right? Like why, why the book of Isaiah? And it gives us the passage here in Isaiah from Isaiah 53 verses 7 and 8. But why is this eunuch reading Isaiah? And almost every scholar who I read, the reason this Ethiopian eunuch is probably reading Isaiah is because of this. Isaiah 56. Pull this up, Keith. Let not the foreigner, Ethiopian, who has joined himself to the Lord, say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the, oh, eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Think about it. Do you hear the gospel to this eunuch from Isaiah? He is reading Isaiah because Isaiah is a message to eunuchs specifically right here. It's going, listen, if you will keep my commands, if you'll keep my covenant, here is the reward. I will give you a name and you shall not be cut off. You may feel rejected. You may feel like an outcast. You may feel like there's all these things preventing you. But the good news of my gospel, of my covenant, the Lord says is this. You will not be cut off. You will not be put to shame. And he's reading this and he asks Philip, he goes, listen, he goes, tell me about this. Tell me all that you know about this. And I think this gets us to our last hurdle. He says, get up here in my chariot, unpack this. And I think this is the hurdle a lot of us wrestle with as well. The hurdle of knowledge, right? Where you're, you and I both, we fear that someone is going to ask us a question we don't have an answer to, right? Imagine, book of Isaiah, right? Hey, explain to me what this means in Isaiah. How many of you are like, that's where my palms like try to kind of get clammy and sweaty, right? We're afraid that in our gospel articulation, that we're going to say something wrong, that we're not going to know an answer to their question and not knowing the answer to their question is going to be what they go, man, then I don't want any of this. Is it you that saves? Or is it the spirit of the living God? The answer is the spirit of the living God. Listen, and he uses our fallible words, our fallible articulations of the gospel to save men and women like you and me and this Ethiopian eunuch. Will you say something wrong? Yes, you will say something wrong in a gospel witness. But praise God for his grace that transcends our frailty and our fallibility. He is perfect. However, that is not an excuse not to know your word. That is not an excuse not to devour the word of God, to be able to give an answer in an account. But let not knowledge or lack thereof be a hindrance. Listen, if you have been a believer one day, you have enough knowledge because of the saving power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit alive in you to be a witness and a herald of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is not an intellectual ascent that we reach and we go, now go share, right? There's equipping and there's training and absolutely, and we are all for that. But we cannot let a lack of perceived knowledge be the thing that, that, that binds us up from sharing our faith and testimony of the goodness and salvation of Jesus Christ. That he saves 
that his kingship is worth bowing down to, that his rule and reign are what our life should be surrendered to, and our self-saving efforts and energies can go by the wayside that Jesus alone saves when we surrender to him. Right? Like, that's the, that's the gospel. Notice what Philip does. is he gets in the chariot, And it says, in beginning with this scripture, right, he starts where he is in Isaiah 53, describing Jesus. He gives a full discourse of Isaiah. No, no, no. What does it say? It says that he starts with this scripture in Isaiah 53, and then he tells him about Jesus. He brings Isaiah 53. He brings right where the Ethiopian eunuch is to the place of Christ, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right? So when we're sharing the gospel, when we're talking to people about Christ, oh yes, we start right where they are. Maybe it's a framework of pain. Maybe it's a framework of religion. Maybe it's a, a framework of works. Maybe it's a, a framework of, 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 of sickness. We don't, we don't know, right? We start right there. But where do we go? Always, we go to Jesus. We go to share the person of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. All right, so here, let me close. What do we do with this today? What what do we do with this today? Because what we see following Philip shares the gospel. Um, The Ethiopian eunuch is baptized, right? And and again, if you want to hear that, I've taught on that before, right? That's the immediate response after salvation. I'll just say that, that if you are a believer that is not baptized, you need to be water baptized to be obedient to the scriptures. Make that decision today. Let us know. We want to talk about that. But what do we do with this as a community, right? A community that longs to be gospel witnesses wherever we are. And I I believe our community longs to do that. Well, I want to go back to the way that I began. That there's a pattern in Acts. There's a pattern to the way in which the gospel went out, right? Like, we, we could end right now and go, go share your faith. I don't think that's being obedient to the pattern of Acts. What's the first thing that they did? They gathered. They got together with other believers. Other people who were like-minded who say, hey, listen, your call is my call. Our gospel witness is, is us shared together. Let's encourage one another. I was, uh, Jake shared this uh, stat with me. He shared it with me before about being a disciple maker and disciple making efforts. Listen to this. The stat is this. If you hold a lecture, right, something like this, if you will, on how to make disciples and come back a year later, only 7% of people in that training will have continued efforts in disciple-making. If you model disciple-making for them, right? Like, we'll fish together, I'll show you how to fish, that kind of deal. If you model disciple-making for them, only 12% will be making disciples a year later. If you put those same people on a team that focuses on making disciples together and come back a year later, get this, 93% will be actively making disciples. What's the point? The point is this, we cannot and it is not designed for us to do alone. The beautiful realities, right, even of our praxis groups, or if you're in a multiply group, especially if you're in a multiply group, right, you're getting together with other believers. And what should be constant and continual in your conversation is this. Are we really being faithful gospel witnesses? How do we do it better, right? But it can't just stop at conversation because what's the pattern? Gather together, have fellowship, teaching, right? Break bread and pray. 
pray that the Holy Spirit might fill you with his presence and with his power. Because apart from his presence and his power, it is impossible to be a gospel witness. So they gather, they pray, and then the Holy Spirit fills them. And then they go out and share the good news of Jesus together. That's the pattern. That's the plan. Let's pray. Father, we are gathered here as one small expression. As one little tiny blip on the radar of a group of people who have been radically transformed by your grace and by your mercy. And so, Father, I'm asking, we're pleading that you would fill us with your spirit. That I I don't make it past one of these hurdles apart from your spirit moving and working in me, apart from your spirit moving and working in us. We need your power. We need you to give us the faith to obey. And God, I pray that this community, that our praxis groups, our gatherings, our multiply groups, our casuals encounters as we have coffee with one another, what would constantly be on our lips, what would constantly be challenging our spirits together is are we sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with our lives and with our mouths. May we be stirring one another along and pushing each other in our complacency, in our comforts, in, our, in, in the hurdles that we all face that I didn't even list today. God, help us to be a faithful witness to your beauty and the glory of your Son and the salvation that comes to the ends of the earth. God, thank you for allowing us to play a small part in that. Now, may we go from here gathering, praying, and going and sharing the love of Jesus this week. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Quiet our hearts. We're listening. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.